forgive me as I wet my whistle for a moment here. For some reason, I don't know if it was the technical problems we were having, but I got a, you know, I'm a type A personality and those things could just uh, set me off in the wrong direction. <laughs> so I, I think that's uh, what, what it did. Or maybe I'm not used to preaching in front of my children, I don't know. There's something that has been in the news for a very long time, and that is COVID. We thought we would not be hearing much more about it, but instead it seems that it has accelerated. And who would have dreamed that when COVID invaded our lives in early 2020, that now almost 2000, uh, 2000, two years later, it would not only still be around, but it is also so pervasive. And to our utter dismay, according to all the reports that we're hearing, it's not going away anytime soon. And I'm not a scientist, so I don't pretend to be or understand all the complexities of science, but my understanding is because it is a man-made virus, it has this unique ability to aggressively mutate and as a result now we are hearing about all of these different variants that are surfacing all over the globe and what was started out as the alpha strain of covid has now mutated into all of these other letters of the greek alphabet beta delta delta plus gamma eta Iota, Kappa, Lamba, and in addition, uh, the World Health Organization is telling us that there are now 13 other variants that they are tracking that have been found in other countries. But as I was studying this, I came across another vi virologist who claims that there are not enough letters in the Greek alphabet because according to his studies and research, there are possibly over 100 variants that are out there in the world. Now I know I'm giving you bad news, but hold on, good news is coming. But when you hear all about that, it certainly raises a great level of concern. And Pastor Bob talked about that last Sunday, did he not? because of the way it is continuing to spread, because of all that we still do not understand about it. But if we place our focus on that, and I know that there are some people that look at the stats every day. What's the number in New Jersey? How many more cases of COVID have uh, been surfaced and are being recorded? And just as a little aside, no matter what it is, they call it COVID. So I'm not sure the numbers are as high as they say. But if we place our focus on COVID and on COVID alone, then we're going to fall into despair, as Pastor Bob preached last week, that we're going to look at the storm and we're going to fear that we're going to perish in the storm. Well, I've been lucky so far. COVID hasn't touched me. But now with all that's going on, there's, there's a possibility I could still get it. There are some theories out there that even those that have been vaccinated are now shedding 
And if you're around people who have been vaccinated, you can also get COVID. Well, I, I don't want to give attention to any of that. What I want to give my attention to is the Word of God, because God is greater than COVID. Do you believe that this morning? God is greater than COVID. And to encourage our hearts, we need to turn to the word of the Lord and see the precious promises of divine protection that are there for us in God's word so that we don't look only at the storm, but we turn our attention away from the storm and we look into the word of God and find encouragement and find strength and our faith is growing because God's promises are more potent than COVID could ever be. God's word is the antidote to all fear. And maybe you're not suffering with fear from COVID, but you're suffering with fear from all that's going on in the world. As Sister Valerie prayed, there's so much that is going on in the world to discourage us, to bring us to a place of deep despair. Don't turn on the news because it'll only discourage you, but let's turn to the word of the Lord. And this morning, I want to invite your attention to Psalm 91 as we look at this precious psalm and the promises of God's word that are for the children of God. So media, have you been able to help us? I saw Pastor Bob uh, last week use, there we go. This helped me from having to include uh, 16 verses in my PowerPoint. So follow along with me as we read God's word this morning. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I think it's good if you read it aloud with me, make it the declaration of your heart. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you shall trample underfoot because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known 
my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I apologize. I was reading from the New King James Version, so thank you for following along with us. Father, we pray now that as we open your word, we don't need a sermon. We need a word from heaven today. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here to bring that rhema word to us. Let it find a lodging place in our hearts. Let your word run swiftly and be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. This psalm is particularly precious and dear to my heart because when I was in my early 30s, I experienced the onset of panic attacks. And if you've never had a panic attack, you need to thank God. These are not to be taken lightly, and those who suffer with them need to be viewed with a great deal of compassion. There were times when these panic attacks hit me that I actually felt that I would lose my mind. That is an awful, awful place to be. And at the time, I didn't even realize that I could have sought for medical help because now I understand that there are drugs that are available that can treat this uh, condition and help you manage uh, it to get through the storm, as it were. But I believe God led me to a better treatment plan. And that plan was to memorize Psalm 91, all 16 verses. And any time I felt the onset of another panic attack, I would quote Psalm 91. And the power of God's word quenched those awful attacks. And so this morning, I want to encourage you with the word of God as we introduce this mini-series. Obviously, we're not going to have time to get through all 16 verses. Actually, we're probably only going to get through the first two. But it's my prayer that as we meditate upon this psalm, that we will take in huge doses of this antidote. Do you know the word of God is power? Do you know the word of God is medicine? It's better than any other medicine you will ever take. The scripture says that the word of God is health to the marrow of your bones. And as I understand it, the marrow is where our blood is created. And when the word of God gets into us, it not only gets into our spirit, but by our spirit, it gets into our physicality and we can be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. And that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead by the power of God's word quickens even our mortal bodies. Do you believe God's word this morning? I know that sounds foreign to everyone else. And those that are intellectual and those that are academic are saying, what in the world are you talking about? I'm talking about what God's word is talking about. 
Some of the healthiest people I know are those who are living in the Word, and the Word is living in them. Now, that's not to cast any aspersion, but I just want to suggest to all of us, and as you know, I always preach first to myself, that if I want to live a healthy, long, strong life, I need to be spending more time in the Word and allowing the Word to get into me so that it could bring health to the marrow of my, of my bones. Uh, so it's my prayer that as we take in this antidote from God's Word, that regardless of all that is going on around us, that we can live as kingdom people. Not just on Sunday morning, but every day of the week. And how do we live as kingdom people? In righteousness, in peace, and in joy. So while the world is just going absolutely crazy, those of us who are kingdom people can still be living right, walking the straight and narrow, but our lives are filled with the peace of God. That's something that the world could never give us, and the world can never take it away. That's something that all the money in the world could ever, ever buy, but it, it's a free gift of God to those of us who are children of the kingdom and are walking in the kingdom of God. Now, just by way of short introduction here, I want to say that Psalm 91, being a favorite, uh, we, we all love the Psalms to begin with, right? But then in the Psalms, there are those that are especially favorite, like Psalm 1, Psalm 23, Psalm 121, Psalm 91. And we just have this natural tendency to attribute all of those Psalms to David because by and large, he was the psalmist. But did you know that not all of the Psalms were written by David? And even though it is not noted, many scholars believe because this follows Psalm 90 that it was written by Moses, that Psalm 91 is also a psalm that was written by Moses. And this premise makes the psalm all the more meaningful because the content of this psalm and the promises in this psalm so beautifully fit the narrative of Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. And we know the story well, do we not? When God said, Moses, it's time. I want you to get up and go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. I'm going to bring them out of the land of bondage and into the land of promise. And isn't that such a beautiful picture of our conversion experience? The Lord brings us out so that he could bring us in. So once you come out of your bondage, out of your darkness, out of your sin, out of your shame, you don't live anymore the way you used to live. You live a new life because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. So God uh, called Moses. Moses heard the call. He was obedient to the call. And he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. But there was just one little problem. Pharaoh wasn't convinced that it was time for the people of God to go. So what did God do? He said, well, I'm going to have to teach Pharaoh 
that when I say it's time, it's time, and I'll give him a little bit of encouragement. And God sent the 10 plagues against the people of Egypt. Now you look at those plagues. This, this was just an unbelievable onslaught of evil that came upon all of Egypt. But where were the children of Israel living? They were living in the land of Goshen. And the Bible says that while each and every one of these plagues were being poured out upon the Egyptians, from Pharaoh down to every last Egyptian, every corner of the land was touched by this onslaught of these plagues. Yet in the land of Goshen, not one Israelite was touched. Now look at this map, if you will. There's Egypt up there in the northeast corner of Africa, and that red dot that you see is Goshen. There's where all the Israelites were. And they were in this bubble of protection when everywhere else in the land of Egypt, when the boils came, every single Egyptian were afflicted by those boils. When the flies came, every inch of Egypt was covered with flies. I mean, nasty stuff. Frogs everywhere, even in the palace. You couldn't escape these plagues. But in the land of Goshen, they escaped the plagues. And we know the story that at last, when that last plague hit, Pharaoh said, okay, get out of here and get out of here in a hurry. I never want to see your face again. We know he changed his mind, but at that moment, he didn't want to see Moses or the people of Israel again because of the horror that had taken place with the 10th plague and the death of the firstborn. But then the children of Israel went into the wilderness, and there they wandered for 40 years in the desert, a place of desolation, a place of danger. And you know that wilderness is in some ways a type of our earthly sojourn. We're, we're st when Jesus saved us, he didn't bring us to heaven. In our spirits, he seated us in heavenly places, but our feet are still here on terra firma, and in this world, Jesus said, you're going to have tribulation. He never promised us a better place. He never told us that it would be an easy path to follow. There are problems, there are heartaches, there, there is sickness, there is death, there is pain. And for 40 years, the children of Israel experienced all of that. But like the children of Israel who are looking for the promised land, you and I as citizens of the heavenly kingdom, we're looking for a city which hath foundation whose builder and maker is God. And aren't you thankful for that? We're just pilgrims that are passing through. I know it seems tough. I know it seems like the trials will never end. But what is a little bit of suffering, Paul says, in comparison to the glory that shall be revealed in us? And like Christian and John Bunyan's a classic Pilgrim's Progress, 
while we were still on this earth, we will continue to encounter dangers and pitfalls along the way. But if we persevere in obedience to God and to his word, we can have the assurance of the promises of Psalm 91, where God says, I am your protection. Yeah, I know COVID is all around you, but I am your protection. So I want us to look this morning at, <clears throat> in, in more depth at the promises that we find in Psalm 91. And don't get nervous. I'm not going to be too much longer because we, we only have time for about the first two verses. The psalm begins with three words. And those three words are extremely significant because they establish for whom these promises are being made. And those three words are, he who dwells. He who dwells. I know that as Christians sometimes, we want to encourage others. Oh, you're going through a hard place? Well, open your Bible to Psalm 91 and claim the promises that are there. We somehow think that the promises of God are just arbitrarily doled out to anybody and everybody. But did you know that the promises of God are conditional? I know we don't like to hear that, but they're conditional. Did you know even your salvation is conditional upon what? What does Romans tell us? That if you want to be saved, you need to confess with your mouth. You need to believe in your heart. You could be as religious as you want to be. You could be in church all the days of your life. But if you don't meet God's condition for salvation, you will never be saved. And likewise, if we want to experience the promises of Psalm 91, we need to understand it is for those who dwell in this secret place. Do you know what it means to dwell? It doesn't mean just to visit. It means to move in and settle down. It means to take up permanent residence. It means to abide. The Message Bible says it this way, you who sit down in high God's presence. Some people visit God on Sundays, but come Monday, God is only a distant memory. So many Christians only have occasional encounters in the secret place. But God's plan for us as kingdom people is to dwell, to permanently reside in the secret place and to live there 24-7. We need to live in the secret place. There's so much turmoil in this world. If we're not living in the secret place, we very quickly show the evidences of it. We get upset about this. We get upset about that. We get angry. We blow off at the handle. We, we say things that we regret saying. You know why? Because we're not abiding in the secret place. The secret place is not in the shelter of a church building. It's not in the security of having your name written on a church roster. Neither is it given access to those who do good works or fulfill some ministry. 
You know, we have that tendency sometimes. Lord, let me, let me buy my way. The gifts of God are not to be purchased. They're free gifts given by his grace and by his mercy. But there is something that you and I need to take the initiative to do. And that initiative is to dwell in the secret place. Where is the secret place? That might sound like a mysterious, ethereal kind of place. But Paul tells us in Colossians 3 and 3 that your life is hidden with Christ in God. But do you only know that experience on Sunday morning? Do you only know that experience when you, when you spend 15 minutes in your personal devotions? Jesus said, you must abide in me and my words abide in you. That is the secret place. It's living there 24-7. It's the experience that the hymn writer captured when he wrote those words of that great hymn. Living in thee, Lord, and thou in me. How many of you old-timers remember that song? Constant abiding, this is my plea. Grant me thy power, boundless and free. Power with men and power with thee. Those who dwell in the secret place are given a place to live under the shadow of the Almighty. Now there's a place of safety. If you dwell, if you reside, if you've taken up permanent residence in Christ and he's the focus of your heart's devotion on Monday morning as well as Sunday morning when you're in the church house worshiping. If you're carrying the Lord Jesus Christ and your desire is to love him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul and with all of your strength, then you can have the assurance that you're in that secret place. And because you are in that secret place, now you are under the shadow of the Almighty. That's such a beautiful picture of close proximity. When you're in someone's shadow, you're, you're really close to them because their shadow is being cast over you. And you know, I thought about this, that in the book of Acts, we read that even Peter's shadow, when people walked in the shadow of Peter, he was so full of God and so full of a Holy Spirit that they were instantly healed. Now, if that happened in the New Testament, and they experienced that kind of power, they experienced those kinds of miracles. What kind of miracles and power will we experience in our lives if we are living under the shadow of the Almighty? If the presence and the glory of God is a shadow that is cast over our lives and we're walking in that shadow when we're at work, when we're at play, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we're doing it for the glory of God. We're doing it with God on our minds. We're doing it because we love him with all of our hearts. I'm not suggesting this morning that any of us have arrived but it's something that we need to aspire to. It's something that we need to cultivate. It's something that we need to grow in because the more we dwell in the secret place, the more we will experience the glory of the shadow of God cast over our lives and the blessings of God abounding 
upon our lives. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 1? That those who meditate on the law of the Lord will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. They bring forth fruit. Whatever they do prospers. I don't know about you, but that's a place where I want to live. That's a place that I want to experience in my life. And goodness and mercy will pursue you all the days of your life. That's living beneath the shadow of the Almighty. That's the experience that God wants us to have. Now, I want us to notice that in this first verse that we've been looking at, there are two wonderful titles or names for God. The scripture says it's the secret place of who? Of the Most High. That name is, for God is El Elyon. And when you hear that name, it expresses that he is the sovereign, majestic God who has highest preeminence. You know, you know as earthlings, we always think in terms of hierarchy. Uh, who's above me? You know, if you're in the workplace, well, this boss and that boss, and yeah, and I want to climb that ladder. I, I want to reach this level because when I have this level, I have this amount of power. And then I go to the next level, I have more power. But I want you to know this morning that the God whom we serve is the highest power that there is in all of the universe. And we are living under that power and under that blessing that because he is preeminent in all things, because he is El Elyon, we never need to think, oh, what is coming against me now? This is too great. This is too big for God. No, it isn't. He's El Elyon. He's the most high God. The doctor gives you some diagnosis, and you think it's the end of the world. But did you consult with the most high God? He has the last word. If you belong to him, if you're held in the palm of his hand, and the scripture says, no man can, can pluck them out of my hands. David had this experience. He knew this God. He said, I cry out to God most high. You know, when David was in trouble, he didn't go to God. God, I, 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 hope, I hope this isn't too big for you. It's big for me, but I, I pray it's not too big. No, God, you're, you're the most high God. How do you think he faced Goliath? little scrawny David facing Goliath. He knew the Most High God. Do we know the Most High God? It's the revelation that Moses had of God as we read in Exodus 15. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? In this world, there are so many gods. There's so many religions that have so many different gods, and they make all of these claims, but who is like our God comparison to these other gods who is like you you are majestic in holiness you are awesome in deeds you're the god who does wonders there's no one like you no one like you there's no god like our god no god like jehovah don't we sing that song we love that song there's no god like jehovah so powerful so mighty and so awesome and the second name that we see there, those who dwell in the secret place are given the promise to abide under the shadow of who? The shadow of the Almighty. The Almighty. And that name is translated in the Hebrew El Shaddai. 
You know, the first mention of that name is in Genesis 17 and verse 1, when God said to Abram, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. Do you know what El Shaddai means? It means the all-sufficient one, and I believe it was so totally appropriate of God to reveal himself to Abram as El Shaddai because he had just told this 99-year-old man that he was going to reproduce a child when that man's body was as good as dead. But God is saying, Abram, you believe me because I am El Shaddai. I am all-sufficient. I'm the God who is more than enough. Everything that you could possibly ever need, and exactly when you need it, God is. He is there. He is Jehovah Shammah, present in our time of trouble. Maybe he's never in a hurry, but he is always on time. The God of more than enough, the God of plenty. We can live our lives knowing that there will always be provision for us. There will always be protection. There will always be peace and comfort and care because we dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. And because we're there, we can have the confidence of his protection. So hear what the psalmist says. I will say of the Lord. What do you say of the Lord? Oh God, you feel so far away. Oh God, the enemy's whispering in your ear and he's saying, God doesn't love you anymore. God, why don't you love me anymore? I know I blew it, but I, I didn't mean to. And now we're in guilt and shame and all kinds of condemnation. Did you know condemnation does not come from God? Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. There is no place in the Christian life for shame because we have been delivered from shame. We've been set free from shame by the power of the cross. Jesus paid the price. He took our shame. He took our guilt. And when we confess our sin and repent of our sin, the slate has been wiped clean, and we are whiter than the snow. So what are we saying of the Lord this morning? I hope we can identify with Moses here and say, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. See, this God that Moses served was more than enough. Not only was he more than enough, but he brings to me a place of safety and safekeeping, a refuge, a fortress, a hiding place, protection from dangers, seen and unseen. Do you know that that is who your God is? I like what Spurgeon said about this verse. It is but poor comfort to say, the Lord is a refuge. You know, a lot of people know a lot about God. They have their theology clear. They know what the Bible says, who God is. The problem is they don't know who that God is to them personally. God wants us to know that he is my refuge. 
Can you say that this morning? He is my refuge. He is my fortress. I didn't hear you. He is my refuge. He is my fortress. Hallelujah. He's my hiding place in the time of trouble. He's the place I run into when there are difficulties. When I don't know where to turn, I run into Jesus and I'm made safe. That's the promise of God's word. When our lives are lived under the shadow of the Almighty, God protects us from all that the enemy brings against us. And when the storms of life are raging, when COVID threatens, when you hear there's another variant, when you hear the numbers are escalating, or when you hear anything else that wants to take you down, I want us to be encouraged this morning with the assurance of God's word that whatever it is, whenever it is, God is my refuge. He is my fortress. And I want to underscore this morning, that needs to be our declaration. Not your parents, not your pastors. You need to say it for yourself. Do we really believe it? And if you really believe it, then you're going to declare it. You're going to declare it by how you live, and how you live will be predicated upon how well you declare it within your heart and out of your mouth. Now, a lot of people are going to have a problem with me here because, oh, I meditate on the Word of God. But the Word of God is not something that is to be contained within the two covers of your Bible. In Joshua 1.8, we read that the Word of God is something that is to proceed out of our lips. And once it proceeds out of our lips, we continue to repeat that Word of God. We don't say, well, I said it, it's done. The Scripture says, let not that Word depart out of your mouth in the sense, don't ever stop declaring the Word of God. There's never a time when you say, I said it, that's enough. This is the law of the Lord that we're to meditate in day and night. Day and night. What happens when we declare the word of the Lord? When we declare that our trust is in God, who is our refuge, who is our fortress, who is our strength, not what the doctor says, not in the medicine that he gives me, not in the money that I have in the bank, not in the good job that I possess, not in anything else, but in Christ alone. I declare that word, and when I declare that word, it becomes a powerful weapon that defeats the powers of darkness. And it does something else. It activates angelic activity. Did you know that? It's right here in the Word of God. Listen to Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you minister of his, who do his pleasure. What is the responsibility of the angels of God? Their responsibility is to execute what God says in his word. 
They're his messengers that do his bidding. And I believe that as children of God, when we speak, not our words, not our will, not our desires, not our wants, but when we declare the word of the Lord, Father, I'm in a, a mess right now, but I declare the word of the Lord, your kingdom come. And God will send his angels. Whether he delivers you out of the furnace or whether he delivers you in through the furnace, you know, God's word says that the fire will, it doesn't promise us that the fire will not touch us. The fire does touch us, but what does it say? It will not burn us. Some people are subject to the fire and they're consumed and their faith is gone. Their faith is wrecked. But those of us who dwell under the shadow of the Almighty, when the fire touches us, it only consumes the dross. <laughs> It purifies our faith, and we come out stronger and greater. How do you think those three Hebrew boys must have felt? Because they exercised faith in God, and when they went into that furnace that Nebuchadnezzar made seven times hotter, it didn't even singe their... It, all it did was burn off what was holding them bound, the ropes that tied their hands and their feet. And they were starting to walk around having camp meeting with Jesus. That's what, that's what God wants us to have in the dark experiences of life. And we don't have it. You know why we don't have it? Because we don't dwell in the secret place. We've not cultivated an intimacy with Jesus that in our time of trouble, we draw near to him. We cry out unto him. And when we do, he reveals himself. He shows us his tender love. He invites us into his chambers where he reveals to us what those that are out there in the periphery can never know because our hearts are in passionate pursuit after him and God's heart is in passionate pursuit after those who love him and want to do his will. Oh, we need a fresh revelation of the power in God's word as we declare it in our mouths. And then we notice in this verse too, two other names or titles of God the psalmist says I will say of the Lord he is my refuge in my fortress and then secondly my God so there are two other names first the Lord the Lord oftentimes you read that title of God in the scripture and when you see it all in capital letters the name of God that it is referencing is Yahweh or Jehovah. In the Hebrew, it is only a four-letter word, Y-H-W-H. -H. Devout Jews will never say that name because they believe it is so sacred. And vowels have been added to it so that now we could say Jehovah or Jehovah as we would say in English, but Y-H-W-H. -H. Yod, hey, va, hey, Jehovah. Do you know what that name means? It's the name that God gave to Moses when he commissioned him to go. And Moses said, but Lord, whom shall I say has sent me? 
And God said, I am. That's the name that is translated YHWH. The self-existent God. The uncreated God. The God who was from all eternity. The God who is today. And the God who shall forever be. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. That's your God. That's my God. Can we wrap our minds around who he is? Can we really wrap our minds in how shallow is our thinking that sometimes we feel that there's this person that I have in my life, that they mean the world to me, and God forbid anything ever happened to them, I would surely perish. What are we saying about that person that the scripture says, he's a human, she's a human being, their breath is in their nostrils, they're frail, they're fallen, they're mortal, they're corrupt. You have the everlasting God, the God who was and is and who shall forever be. He's your God. Let's own him, let's praise him, let's know him so that we could walk this life in victory. And then finally the psalmist says, this Jehovah is my God. That name is Elohim. This is the name of God in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, Elohim. What's very interesting about this name is that in the Hebrew, it is actually a plural name for God. You say, what? Plural? God is one. But did you know, I hope you knew, that God eternally reveals himself through three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that's why God, Elohim, said in Genesis, let us, when God created, let us. He was speaking also to the Son and the Holy Spirit, and together they each had a part in creation, sometimes we think God spoke the universe into the existence. True, but does not Paul tell us in the epistles that it is by Jesus that all things that are created were created, and he is the sustainer and the upholder of all that exists. So I want us to be encouraged in knowing today that this I am God, this self-existent God is the God who is our God. He is Elohim, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this morning as we approach the communion table, I want us to be encouraged to know that this glorious and great salvation that we enjoy is because the Father loved us so much that he gave willingly his only Son. And the Son who loved us so much and wanted to be so obedient to the will of the Father willingly came to the sensic earth to die for you and for me. And the Holy Spirit who enters into us to regenerate us and make us new creations in Christ Jesus 
makes it possible for us to know the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We come to the communion table in praise for Jesus who paid that price for our salvation so that all of the provisions of the atonement, all of the promises of Psalm 91 are ours. They are yes and they are amen. Can we embrace them by faith today? Can we say, God, I want to dwell in the secret place. I want to abide in the secret place. I want to take up permanent residence in the secret place that I might abide under the shadow of the Almighty, that I might know this Elohim God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I want to grow in the revelation of who they are and what they mean to me in my walk with him, that he might change us from glory unto glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning.